0: It is Wednesday the 20th of April 2022 at the time of recording and this month on my podcast I thought I'd try something a little bit different. Um, so there's no guests uh, but I wanted to do an experiment where I take some audio clips from a podcast and turn it into a kind of extended commentary. Um, so this week I've been thinking and writing about a uh, the debate between Johan Hari and Nir Eyal, um, which was conducted for Johan Hari's book Stolen Focus um, and published on his website. And it's not really a podcast, uh, but it's something where basically Johan Hari got caught fabricating quotes in the past. And he feels obliged now to publish all of his interviews uh, so people can see that he actually... Um, so they actually said what he he writes, they said. Uh, I did think about inviting Nir Ayal or Johan Hari onto the podcast, and if you're listening, guys, I, I would like to talk to you. Uh, but I don't know if I'm quite uh, ready um, to be bamboozled by the amount of facts and data that they have up their sleeve. Um, you know, they've been thinking about this stuff for a lot longer than I have, and... You know, I think this is more of a kind of introduction to the debate rather than my own particular uh, contribution. Um, now, usually on podcasts, at least on interview podcasts, they're very relaxed, uh, but this is different, this uh, this interview with uh, Nir Eyal, Um There's a bit of spikiness in it, and it's basically, is basically kind of, it's, is drawing out the contradictions in the debate over internet usage and smartphones and the addictiveness of apps. And I think that's an interesting debate because, you know, on the one hand, you know, I am someone that has suffered from addiction to, or at least, you know, extended habits on uh, smartphone apps. Um, but, you know, I can also see that there are, you know, there are trade-offs, and the solutions to uh, how we make these apps less addictive is not necessarily kind of clear, clear-cut. Um, so anyway, let's let's get on with the their interview, and I'll intersperse some commentary in between.
1: I feel very strongly that telling people that technology is hijacking their minds is wrong on so many levels Um, I think it it's you know hijacking is what they did to us on 9-11 it's not it's not Candy Crush and I think using that terminology uh, saps people's personal responsibility to do something about this problem now I think I think what it makes, it, what, what, and the reason the, the press loved it, <laughs> right? The reason it went viral is because, again, we're looking for pain avoidance. And so, if we can avoid dis- the discomfort of calling these things what they are, which is a distraction rather than an addiction or a hijacking, well, then that's a lot more work to call it what it really is, to call it a distraction. That's no fun. Uh, now I have to do something about the problem. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to do that?
0: So that is Nir Ayal speaking. Now, Nir Ayal has written two books so far. Uh, one is called Hooked and is about a kind of recipe book on how to build habit-forming products. Um, the second book was called Indistractable and that is about how to not be constantly distracted by habit-forming Products. So it's kind of clear that there is a kind of contradiction in his approach, and this is really what the interview centers on this uh, contradiction. So, in
2: Hooked, you describe these incredibly powerful techniques uh, that are very effective at creating habit forming products. And it feels to me indistractable. You describe, and let's set aside the stuff about free play, which I think is very, very powerful, and I, uh, I would put in a separate box to this but the techniques of adult self-restraint, all of which I agree with and all of which are valuable, seem to me quite um, small and fragile compared to the bigness of what you describe in Hooked. Can can you see what I mean?
1: I I see it exactly the opposite, in fact. I think we are, you know, everything that I talked about in Hooked, you can turn off with a click of one, you know, with a tap of one thumb. Fuck them.
2: But that's like saying to someone in a casino in Vegas, you can walk out. I mean,
1: yeah, you, you can. Yeah, right. And to everybody but an addict, that's not such a big deal.
2: Right, but I mean, there's a reason why huge numbers of people who live in Vegas are addicted to gambling. If you live in an environment, and those are not just people who are gambling addicts who moved to Vegas, there's good research on this, that people who live in an environment that is kind of um, chronically habit-forming. It, so I guess... Um,
0: so Johan Hari is not a designer, and you can kind of tell that because he doesn't think in terms of the trade-offs involved.
1: When we hear about all the bad stuff that's happening with tech use around 2008, we make, you know, Gene Twenge and, and Tristan find these correlations around, well, look at all the bad stuff that's happened since, since 2008, since the Apple App Store came out. But what about all the good stuff? I mean, think about, you know, kids these days. From 2008, you see this precipitous decline in all the things that used to kill kids truancy, down, uh, incarceration, way down, murder rates, way down, drug use, way down, teen pregnancy, way down, traffic accidents, way down. There's
0: an interesting discussion in the podcast about what metaphors we need to use when we talk about big tech. Is it something like leaded petrol that should be banned? Or is it something like smoking, which should be discouraged and kind of given lots of health uh, warnings? um, Or is it like diet? Um, And we hear this in the next excerpt.
2: If we think of these problems as like, you know, the industrial process, which brought many benefits and some costs, produced pollution that led to deteriorating air quality and all sorts of things, the market would never have dealt with that pollution right you could say of course people want cleaner streets they don't want to be able to breathe but that was an externality to the market process right and i think what and i'm putting words in their mouth so anyway yeah i I, I don't
1: think pollution is the right metaphor
2: so tell me why you don't think it's like pollution
1: well because pollution is uh one company is is making a product that has uh an externality downstream that someone else has to clean up. Uh, and it's I think the right metaphor is probably food, right? That, that scientific innovation has meant that we have more calories than we need to feed every human on the face of the earth for the first time in human history, which is a wonderful thing. And just as we have these interactive technologies like we're talking through right now, which are completely free, it's a wonderful thing we can do this. But as Paul Virilio said, when you invent the ship, you invent the shipwreck, right? So there's, yeah. there's it's not externalities, it's unforeseen consequences.
0: I am fascinated by the idea that you only have a problem with social media if you think you've got a problem. Like, you know, my the people I know, my wife and people like that who use social media quite a lot, they never get that neurotic about it. They never worry so much about it. Um, sure you know you go out onto the streets and you see people kind of stumbling over in the road getting run over because they're staring at their phones but that's not everyone Um, so I always do wonder like how bad a problem is it and to what extent can we um, you know um, take responsibility
2: everyone I know who's having problems paying attention and focusing and being distracted blames themselves and thinks, oh, I just need to be better at this. I don't know anyone who has a political consciousness about it. Any ordinary person. I mean, I know people who are activists. But I don't know any ordinary person who thinks, wow, these people, you know, fucked me over. I need to be angry and blame them. Uh, everyone I know blames themselves. And I don't think that's... I mean, I think about my, you know, not teenagers or... Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you think there's a widespread politicized consciousness about this? I, I think
1: just... everybody who talks about technology these days, from the New York Times to every blogger and and, and uh, uh, yeah, anybody who's asked about this opinion, it's it's the blamer argument. Now, the, there, I put there tends to be two buckets, right? The, what I call the blamers and the shamers. The blamers say it's the technology, it's the product uh, that the product needs to change. It's the chocolate cake doing it to me. Uh, the the shamers. We that's a, a whole nother segment of the population. I used to be in this population as well. That's from time to time and say, there's something wrong with me. I must be lazy. I must be deficient. There's something wrong with me. And I think the alternative is to be a claimer. A claimer says, look, this stuff isn't your fault, right? You didn't make Facebook. You didn't make the chocolate cake. You didn't make the iPhone. It's not your fault. I never said it was your fault. I'm saying it's your responsibility that this stuff isn't going away. Uh, in some form or another, it's here to stay. What choice do we have? We have to adapt.
0: One of my favourite things about the debate is that Johan Hari's previous book on drug taking, and his book on depression, um, they seem to make the opposite case that you have in Stolen Focus. So I think in those books, which I haven't read, I have read Stolen Focus, but apparently in those books, um, it tries to kind of focus in on the fact that you know people people take drugs not because they're like wild. know out of control but because they're sad and they're lonely and that we need to kind of help build stronger communities i think um johan Hari popularized this this idea that if you take a rat and you put it in a cage and then the rat gets addicted to heroin um it will just stay addicted to heroin forever but if you put a rat in a really fun little kind of rat paradise where it's got lots of activities to do um then um basically the 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 rat is no longer addicted to heroin. Um and this is like this debate never comes up in stolen focus. We never look at why children are so uh depressed that they want to spend all their time on Fortnite or Snapchat or whatever. And um I, I kind of like the fact that Nir Ayal, who's read those previous books, gets so exasperated.
2: You're you're much more optimistic than me, and I'm just thinking about why. Um, Because I read your stuff.
1: (laughs) It's interesting
2: because I think,
1: yeah, sorry, on. Yeah, I mean, your work, I think, it's surprising to me that, you know, it sounds so much like the conversation that people have around how evil these products are and how pessimistic they are. Sounds to me like the same conversation around the war of drugs. You know, that, that these pushers are manipulating these products to make them more, it's, it's just so ironic to me in, that in a time when people are clamoring for the legalization of marijuana and, you know, cannabis, uh, that's becoming legalized. And yet we want to regulate technology. Um, but, regulation, forward- but
2: legalization is a form of regulation, right? That, that we currently have a market in cannabis, it's completely unregulated, it's in the arms of, in the hands of armed criminal gangsters, right? So the argument for regulation is not an argument against... Le- the argument for legalisation is an argument for regulation, not against
1: it. But it, it's increasing access, right? You, clearly, more people will smoke yeah. pot.
2: Somewhat more, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a debate about whether intoxication goes up because some people transfer from alcohol to cannabis. So you might have a uh, uh, an overall stable level of intoxication. You just have a shifting market. We don't know. Right. And, 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 and
1: guess what, Johan? You can say the same
0: thing about social media. So in this debate, there is three forms of responsibility, I think. There's this idea of personal responsibility, of being the person that um, turns off the phone, unplugs from the internet, puts some kind of blocking software on your internet. And then there's um, the regulation aspect where, you know, you'll ban Facebook from... You know, making the product too addictive, um, if that's what it is. You know, obviously, Facebook is losing a lot of users, so they're not doing very well in that case. But then there's a third aspect of kind of control regulation, which is social antibodies. And that's this idea that, you know, like certain norms will come about. Now, you know, when I go out for dinner these days, no one seems to ever bring out the phone. I think it's generally accepted that if you start checking your phone, you're, you know, considered an idiot. Um, And I wonder how much these kind of social norms will come into being. And maybe, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the interview was conducted, I think, at the end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020 uh, before the pandemic. And so this full kind of goblin mode of people being at home in their sweatpants all day uh, on Zoom, doom scrolling on Twitter hadn't quite come about. But yeah, I am interested, like what, what the world of uh, apps and social norms around using these products will be like in, in, you know, five years time or 10 years time, how quickly can we adapt to this kind of constant source of distraction?
1: It's the boss's responsibility to leave that phone outside. I don't know why that's the tech company's responsibility if anything. The tech company gives you this beautiful little function here that has do not disturb. The tech company gave us a button. All you have to do is that. What more responsibility do we want from Apple? For God's sakes, push the fucking button that says do not disturb for an hour if you're going to have a meeting with your colleagues. Is that so difficult? So
2: do you think it's just personal failing that means that people don't push that button? What What do you attribute the fact that people don't push that button to?
1: I think it's it's a number of factors. I think it's partially it's that it's too new. We haven't had the the time to acquire these social antibodies. I think, too, we haven't made it uh, part of the... the, the um, the norm, we haven't adopted the manners to partake in these, in these behaviors in a certain way. So just like men used to put their fedora, if they walked in you know, 1940s, they would take their hat off when they walked inside and they would put it on outside. We haven't developed these norms around the right time and place to use these devices. That needs to change. And I, I want to progress that conversation as well. But the mean jerk reaction, it's, it's almost like astrology, right? It's almost like mysticism, where if we don't know exactly what the answer is, it must be the big tech companies. If I don't know why things are happening, it must be because of this easy solution in my head. This is what, we're, this is what we keep falling into every time. As you, know, as you said in your book, I, I was just reviewing it earlier about how you, when you went to the, uh, um, uh, the, the treatment centers and how she said, uh, you talked to the treatment professionals and how um, 90% of the time, uh, it's about escaping his anxiety through distraction, about how you talked about how these, these internet-obsessed teens they always come in with something else going on in their life. So one, by doing what Tristan is doing, we're we're not even having that discussion. We're not even having the discussion about what's really going on in kids' lives today, that they should want to overuse technologies to the to degree they are. I...
0: Now, Johan Hari is not a designer. And what that means is that when he starts talking about um, regulation and what actual changes he would make two products um, is not always fully done with a sense of the trade-offs involved. Uh, in this next section, uh, they start talking about regulation and the idea of banning surveillance capitalism in this, you know, like this Faustian pact where, you know, you've got um, users sacrificing all their data and social media entities creating uh, models of your behavior and using that to kind of manipulate you but but I think near I makes a very good point which is that this doesn't really affect um doesn't really affect distraction you know like The app that I check more than anything else is my email. And this is something that hasn't changed at all in like 30 years, you know, email, you know, I don't use Gmail, I use like another service, I use Apple Mail, like they, it it's not designed to be addictive, but it is. And why is it addictive? Because, you know, there's this potential for something really, really interesting to come through the email, you know, a new job prospect or, you know, some nice email from a friend. Just
2: tight forms of regulation. I think this, we're-, we're you like, know. like, like what, can you give me an example? Look, I'm, I don't live in your world. I think a lot of the things Tristan and, and, and Aza advocate seem to me Quite, I mean, to put it in its starkest and most um, caricatured form, banning surveillance capitalism. You know, you're uh, not allowed certain forms of pollution. I think okay. uh, a model based on um, monitoring people in order to better know them, in order to better sell them things that alter their behaviour, you know, that's which is Facebook doesn't go bankrupt the day after you ban surveillance capitalism. That's not an argument to bankrupt Facebook. It's argument for transitions to different models. That,
1: for example, okay. yeah. Okay, so how does that keep the boss from bringing the phone in and checking email in the middle of a meeting?
2: Well, then you have over time, just like we, the analogy with smoking, if you over time have altered social norms, if you no longer have in everyone's pocket a product maximally designed to disrupt their attention,
1: that will... But the alter- boss isn't checking Facebook. The, ch- the boss is checking email.
2: No, but you could say, you know, your parents weren't smoking in your house, but other people were. Over time, you alter the social norm so that, so that we're, over time, everyone, or almost everyone, gets affected by an altered social norm. So what banning surveillance capitalism would do in terms of this individual who may not himself be on Facebook is over time create a different social norm about what is acceptable when it comes to disruption.
0: The debate around the attention crisis and the idea that the internet and Facebook and smartphones are destroying our ability to focus has been largely shaped by people like Tristan Harris and uh, Asa Raskin, um, people that are from Silicon Valley and are really scared uh, about what it's doing both to themselves and the people around them. You get a lot of stories of people who you know used to run Facebook uh, departments and they won't even let their children use smartphones I think uh, Steve Jobs was one of these people and so there's this kind of class division of the people in the know on one on the one hand and the uh, the kind of ordinary people that are having to deal with the consequences of this technology and um, but I think this next section is interesting because, like, it it makes people have a kind of sense of blame. You know how how guilty people feel for having created this world, and I'm I'm, I'm interested to see um, near Ayal's reaction to this idea of feeling guilty.
2: How do you feel when you hear them talking about them feeling guilty?
1: How do I feel when I hear them about feeling guilty? I don't think I've given much thought, to be honest. Um, what do you what do you mean? How do I feel when I hear them? I haven't really heard them. Have they talked about feeling guilty? I haven't. I don't think I've heard them say that.
2: That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe I'm just picking up on that in them. The the um.
1: And I'm not denying it, that they do feel guilty. if yeah, that's yeah. what
2: They They talked about it to, 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 to me, but maybe that's not something that's gotten a lot of public traction. Do you? Yeah. Do, do you think they're just wrong to feel guilty? So that's a Asa designed infinite scroll. Do you think? Do you think he's wrong to feel guilty about that?
1: Um. I mean, he can. He's entitled to any feeling he wants sure, to feel. So. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, um, is infinite scroll a net positive or a net benefit? I think it's 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 again it's how it's applied, who is using it, and how it's applied.
0: So there we have it. These are all the clips that I took from the interview between Johan Hari and Nir Ayal. Um, I hope you found it as kind of interesting as I do. You know, I think it's 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 one of these debates that will go on and on. And I think you know. Even just thinking about the debate has made me a lot more self-conscious about how I use the internet and how much time I spend on apps and on Twitter. And you know, I do agree with Nir Ayal that we do have to take some responsibility for um, for our behaviour and for what we do and um, for the kind of feedback loops that allow us to have insight into what we're doing Um, at the same time um, you know like having you know encouraging things like Substack who don't make their money from um, advertising and encouraging you know other subscription services and more mindful services I think will be a crucial part in in in, uh, in the internet going forward but but overall uh, the message that I have and looking outside my window right now it's kind of a blue sky is you know let's get outside and maybe don't take the phone and enjoy some time outside in the summer in the spring uh, with friends which is what I'm going to do right now um, so thanks for listening and see you next time